How will America prepare to fight and defend against cyber warfare? This is Brief Before Impact. This is Brief Before Impact. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Matt Parker. Tonight will be episode number 10. We'll be continuing a two-part series on cyber warfare. Tonight is part two. Last week, we discussed a few definitions so we can understand the foundation of cyber warfare and have a bit of more understanding. And we concluded with some more of the more infamous attacks that we've seen in the news last four to five years of cyber attacks. Tonight, we will be discussing primarily two things. Who the nation state hackers are who are America's biggest adversaries in the cyberspace uh, arena. And secondly, we will discuss what does America need to be doing as a nation and a country to prepare and defend and fight against any type of conflict that happens in this cyber warfare arena. Let me give a quick shout out to a good listener and good friend, uh, Scott, who provided me this really high speed microphone and audio interface to record all my episodes moving forward. So thanks again, Scott. Let's take just a quick ad break and then we'll jump into tonight's episode. Now, welcome back, everyone. So let's start off by deciding who are these nation state hackers that pose the biggest challenge to America in cybersecurity? I always try to make the subjects of each episode relevant to the individual listening in. The subject matter of cybersecurity, I think, may be more relevant than any of my other episodes because of the sheer increase and cyber attacks that we've witnessed in the United States. And I'll give you some data. According to the FBI, recently reported that the number of attack complaints in their cyber division has reached as many as 4,000 a day, which is a 400% increase from what it was seeing pre-COVID-19. So once the pandemic set in, the cyber attacks and complaints have absolutely skyrocketed. I've told other people that as companies are going more online and allowing their employees to work remotely, the last thing they're going to cut their expenses on is their cybersecurity budget, especially with these types of numbers coming out of the FBI. It leads to the question, what do hackers want, really? What are they trying to achieve with the data they're stealing from individuals, from companies, and et cetera? According to Matt Oxa, writing for Trezor, most hackers simply want to generate profit. They want to make money by stealing private information like a credit card or login details and withdraw money from your accounts by themselves. Or they can resell this information to another entity entity on the Internet. The deep web is filled with offers to buy and sell personal information from all around the world. In the last few years, it has become common practice to hack someone's devices and encrypt data on that device. In this case, the hackers will make sure that the victim knows exactly what's going on and that they're going to have to pay a ransom if they want their valuable files back. If the victim does not pay, the data will remain encrypted or delete themselves after a period of time set by the perpetrator. So just a quick tidbit, this is why you don't use the same passwords for every login and why you also use a reputable antivirus on your PC. I mean, this is the basic things that we can do at the micro level as individuals. Let's move into talking about the bigger challenge to America and who the nation state hackers are. Who are, are is that who is actually attacking America and other powerful uh, countries around the world? According to the Heritage Foundation, in terms of threats the U.S. faces, nation state hackers are the most serious. Russia presents the most sophisticated cyber threat with China as a close second. 
Iran and North Korea are much less sophisticated than China and Russia, but what they lack in expertise, they make up for in malice. The U.S. has implicated Russia in efforts to hack U.S. political entities, such as the Democratic National Committee. We all remember that from the 2016 presidential election when you had the Democratic uh, candidates Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders going after the nomination of the Democratic Party. That was big news back then. Russian hackers are also believed to be behind multiple cyber attacks that took down portions of Ukraine's electric grid. I mentioned that on the last uh, episode, the part one of this series. Now, China has a strong desire to jumpstart its economic efforts by rampant theft of commercial intellectual property. I actually heard someone who specializes in espionage and was very familiar with China and their efforts in the cybersecurity space. He described it this way. China has a vacuum and they are sucking up as many as much information as possible. Once they have the information back in China, then they'll sift through it to see what they want and they'll discard what they don't. That is how China is approaching the theft of commercial intellectual property. They'll try to figure out, basically reverse engineer something that has been created in the United States. Then they can go and make a basically a, a copy of that device and sell it for cheaper. That is what China is trying to do. Now, let me give you an example of how China actually attacked the United States government. Uh, a, a hack that I actually was a victim of. The cybersecurity breach of the Office of Personnel Management, which is OPM for short, is a campaign believed to be undertaken by the Chinese government which resulted in the compromised information of at least 20 million federal employees. So when I was in the army and I had a security clearance of a certain level and this hack occurred, I received a little note saying, Hey Matt, your information may have been a part of this hack. So when you apply for security clearances, the previous 10 years of your life is all on display for the office of personnel management, your social security, your date of birth, where you've lived, last 10 years, who your relatives are, who your close contacts are with every person at that location where you were living last 10 years, and 20 million federal employees were affected. Yeah, this was a big, big deal. Third, North Korea. Uh, North Korea has conducted high-profile cyber attacks against the U.S. The most notable was actually launched against Sony Entertainment. This was allegedly over a movie depicting North Korea in a negative light. What the hackers did is they took terabytes which is a lot of information, took terabytes of private data and released confidential information, specifically uh, including five undistributed Sony movies, and they released that to the public. Now, Iran, to close it out with the nation-state hackers, Iran, in 2012, they unleashed the Shamoon virus. What they did was they targeted Saudi Aramco oil production company, uh, utilizing this uh, Bruce brute force attack this attack actually destroyed 30,000 computers if you remember in the part one uh, of this uh, two-part series i mentioned that cyber attacks can have just the same amount of damage just as what we would think in a conventional warfare scenario with um, whether it's an air raid or explosions of grenades and so forth cyber attacks can have that same type of effect you know 30,000 computers in this instance were just rendered useless so that is the nation-state hackers that pose the greatest threat to the United States. What I'd like to make sure our listeners understand is what is the United States doing actively as a, as a nation, as a government, to uh, fight off and defend 
any type of cyber attack uh, against against our country. And according to Isaac Porsche writing for the Rand Corporation, the Department of Homeland Security has offered sound guidance towards development of a more robust cybersecurity strategy for the homeland that focuses on better defenses. Uh, specifically, Homeland Security has proposed that the United States seek to build deeper partnerships with industry to foster an aligned cybersecurity ecosystem. And this partnership can enable more effective collaboration and information sharing. So this is between the government and the private sector. Additionally, Homeland Security has encouraged the accelerated use of innovative and emerging technologies, such as artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, with an eye towards protecting critical infrastructure. Furthermore, Homeland Security has determined that the effects of cyber attacks against critical infrastructure could be better mitigated through the creation of comprehensive playbooks to unify government actions across defense, homeland security, law enforcement, intelligence, and state agencies. This could drive uniformity in action across the national security enterprise for defensive measures. So what he is suggesting is that mostly two things, the government work and align itself with the private sector to come up with the most rigorous solutions to defend against cyber attacks. And secondly, that imagine a coach for a sport has a playbook. What do we do in the case of X, Y, or Z? And in the, in the case of fighting cyber attacks, how can the American federal government, state government, local agencies, law enforcement do so in a very unified effort to protect, to protect one another? So I want to transition and conclude with what I think the future of warfare will look like in the context of cybersecurity and cyber warfare. I believe that the next large scale conflict, when I say large scale, I mean what I would call peer to peer or America versus another nation state. Last 20 years, we've been very focused on counterterrorism for obvious reasons. But as I laid out, China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea, those are our primary threats in the cybersecurity space. I believe that that large, next large scale conflict between America and another powerful nation state will be initiated by a cyber attack, meaning I believe it'll be started by a cyber attack. And I'll tell you why. When you look at the tactical level, what I mean by that is down to like a special forces team, you know, anything you've listened to my other episodes, you know, my background, I spent uh, about eight years in the army. I served in army special forces, a special forces team will initiate an ambush with its most devastating weapon, which could vary based upon the battle. It could be a, an explosive device, a claymore, for example, a machine gun, a rocket-propelled grenade, and etc. In the context of the next large-scale war between the U.S. and with its allies, I believe it will begin with a cyber attack because it would be absolutely devastating to our, our nation's defenses. Everything from communications to positioning on the battlefield is driven from satellites. And the warfighter's ability to track where he is at on the battlefield, along with other units he is fighting with and alongside, it's very key and critical to success of battles. I believe the next war will begin in such a cyber attack that defeats or intends to defeat, uh, at least even temporarily, our ability to do those things, to position ourselves on battlefield, to respond uh, with our own strategic defenses 
and as well as communicate across um, between different command centers around the world that the United States is in charge of. Now, in my, if you've listened to any of my previous episodes, you've heard me mention China on several, several reasons, several times, and its threat to the United States and how it is, how it manifests itself in that type of threat. Now, in my assessment, China lacks the capability of directly attacking the United States and sustaining its forces for a prolonged conflict, meaning keeping attacking the United States once and then keeping its troops sustained for a prolonged fight. So especially on a, on a foreign shore, it just doesn't have the ability at this time. A more likely scenario is for China to exert its influence within its region. Now, whether unintentionally or outright provoked, a type of kinetic engagement would occur between the U.S. and China. Uh, this could be based on the movement of American ships in the South China Sea, for example, or an ongoing you know, Japanese-American war game. Um, perhaps additional American troops were deployed to the Korean Peninsula. A whole host of scenarios could produce this. Countries typically respond overtly when they believe a line has been crossed, whether that line was crossed diplomatically or militarily. And it's in that response where the danger really lies. Let, let me conclude with these thoughts. And this is according to the RAND Corporation, describing basically what would war in, between the United States and China be like. War between the United States and China could be so ruinous for both countries, for East Asia and for the world that it might seem unthinkable Yet it is not. China and the United States are at loggerheads over several regional disputes that could lead to a military confrontation or even violence between them. Both countries have large concentrations of military forces operating in close proximity. If an incident occurred or a crisis overheated, both have an incentive to strike enemy forces before being struck by them. And if hostilities erupted, both have ample forces, technology, industrial might, and personnel to fight across vast expanses of land, sea, air, space, and cyberspace. So a Chinese-U.S. war, perhaps a large and costly one, it's not just unthinkable, it needs more thought. The consequences of war could go far beyond military success and failure. The world economy could be rocked and international order, such as it is, could be shattered. Because the scope and effects of a Chinese-U.S. war could be much wider than the scope of military planning for such a war. So it's crucial to think and plan much more expansively than we would have in the past. Thank you for tuning in to this two-part series on cyber warfare. I hope that you have a little bit more understanding of this space that it is, as it is relatively new in that regard, even the laws and behaviors between nation states in this area is still being developed. It's not even concrete. So be sure to tune in next week as I start a multiple part series on border security based upon the feedback I received from my listeners. They wanted to know a bit more about border security and the, the second and third order effects of the policies being made at the uh, federal level for the United States. 
you can always go to my Instagram page to shoot me a quick note or respond to any of the posts that I put out. That way I'll see your comments if you have a question or you'd like me to dive into a certain subject. Certainly post it there. I appreciate you listening and I certainly hope you are picking up what I'm putting down. I am Matt Parker and this is Brief Before Impact.